and coach after hitting Umango with a chair. Um, i be honest with you. I was, I don't think I was even watching Monday Night Raw at that point. I was kind of turned off by the product, so to speak. Uh, some of the notes I do have on that right now are uh, several members of the Miami Heat were in attendance, including Shaquille O'Neal. That was a big deal. And I guess Todd Grisham had the big interview of the night uh, interviewing Kenny Dykstra backstage regarding Ric Flair and extending his hand to him two weeks prior with Kenny saying death comes in fours. James Brown, President Ford, Saddam Hussein, in Ric Flair's career. So that's the highlight of that night <laughs> on Raw back in 2007. Honestly, uh, that was a tough, tough time for the WWE, I think. Coming out of the Attitude Era, uh, they didn't go public with their stock yet. They were still trying to build, rebrand themselves as a family-orientated mm-hmm. company and so forth. And I don't know. What about you guys? Do you guys I – mean, Bruce, this is probably your time, no, right? Is, you were watching is, back in 07? No, this is when they were – I was no. uh, I was in my uh, mid-20s, and no, they were pushing me away. I didn't want to watch kid-friendly yeah, TV. I was yeah. I was uh, I was running the other way. This was they were trying to go back to PG, and in my own opinion, they were trying to cultivate the fans for now, so they can go back to that little bit more edgier product. You know, I, I look right. at I look at WWF when I was a kid, and they took the rock and wrestling connection with the kids and cultivated us right. into that that early '90s era, and then they took yeah. you know, and then into the Attitude Era, and then they they did the right. same thing in the uh, with that new generation era into the into the Attitude Era. It seemed like sure. at that point they were doing the same thing. You know, cultivating their next generation of fans and hoping some of us would 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 stay on and you know in the long right. run come back to them the loyalty factor that's what they were betting on and uh i think they lost their ratings weren't too great back then either Don't. i mean I, then again they were the only game in town right ecw already folded up shop oh come on you had um, tna didn't you <laughs> yeah tna was around that's right yeah but hey if you could find them whatever network they were on <laughs> You know, they had a, they had, they had, a t- they had a weird time slot as well. So I don't know. Just I don't know if it was uh, my kids were in sports and all that stuff. I just it wasn't really happening. Um, I don't think yeah. I re I rebirthed with everything until probably about 2011, 2012 when Daniel Bryan and the Yes Movement came back in. So, so yeah, time. I didn't start watching again until uh, Punk came around. Yeah. yeah, that's probably around the same time. Yeah, yeah. right about yep. that time. So yep. the one thing so. I. I, I just have to disagree with you on is you know you had the match yeah. of the year candidate there with uh kevin federline and john cena i don't know what you were talking about <laughs> is he even still relevant i mean was he even relevant then outside of the fact that <laughs> were they still married then because didn't she have like her meltdown and shave her head and all that stuff and go off the deep end yeah that was like around that time wasn't it yeah, it was like all around the time. It was like they were trying to stay relevant, and they throw Kevin Federline in the. <laughs> this is what that, I don't know. This is to me. This is like Vince McMahon just trying to throw everything at us and see if something stuck. And you know, to me, it didn't because I wasn't really watching it loyalty like loyal like I was. But is, is you know, he going to resurface and, now and say he, he's undefeated? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, let's let's just get away yeah. from let's get away from that one. Yeah, let's, please. Yeah. Let, let's fast forward to 2022 when WWE presents Day One, and in the main event, Brock Lesnar re, uh, recaptures the WWE Championship in a fatal five way match, which uh, included Seth Rollins, Kevin Owens, Bobby Lashley, and the defending champion Big E. You know, in my own opinion, uh, I'm a little disappointed that Biggie didn't get a longer title reign, and um, you know, really, really sad that he's been on the shelf. And it honestly, it's it's still up in the air whether he's ever gonna ever gonna make a comeback, and that's pretty sad because I think that guy had a great, great career ahead of him. I love Biggie. How can you not love Biggie? Oh, great personality. You know, just that whole uh, he had the look. He had the he could talk. 
But uh, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, all these, all everybody in this who is in this match is still relevant today. And let's face it, Brock Lesnar in ten years he could walk in any arena and and claim the championship and, and kick ninety percent of the the roster's ass. So yeah, I have a feeling that he's going to be relevant. Even you know, even though he's reaching his late late forties, he's going to be relevant for a long time. In the even as it becomes less more more frequent between his appearances. But uh, I mean, that guy's yeah, always going to be a monster. I know last night on uh, the 30, I was flagged with that question. I, it totally took me off guard. And this is the magic of the 30. You're either ready or you're not. Uh, those are two men that slipped my mind that I think may come back in the Royal Rumble. Brock Lesnar being one of them. And Big E, he's been quiet lately, if you've noticed. Right. You know, he's, you know, he gives us updates and all that stuff. I think they're keeping him. And that'll be a big surprise. Uh, Big E coming back in the Royal Rumble. Because I could see it. Um, you know, from what I heard, he's active. He's been seen around WWE backstage and all that stuff. You never know. But Brock Lesnar, I would definitely say he comes back at the Royal Rumble. I mean, this is going to be a Royal Rumble for the record books, I think, coming up. I think we're going to have they're going to blow the roof off uh, Trump, Trump Field or wherever they're at in uh, Florida. They're going to blow the yard. roof off. So they're gonna, they're definitely gonna do something with that. So when you look at it, you can, you know, pretty much predict who's gonna be in the end. But the reality is, you you have so many other names you could write in there this year. Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the free agent market's big. That's another thing too. Those free agents that all their contracts expired, they might come back. You know, the the one off thing. You know, Carlito a couple of years ago came out of the Rumble. Look at him now, he's back. Um, you know, this is where you got to fill that 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 roster for one night of 30 men of 30 recognizable talents. And uh, this is the way to do it. And WWE is really good at that. So very good. Knows? Yep. Awesome. Who knows? So, all right. looks like we're going to head back over towards Benny, Benny's way. Oh God. Get this one out of the way. January 2nd, 2003, Albuquerque, New Mexico, <laughs> Al Wilson. Father. Oh man. Al Wilson was, didn't he do that? Uh, Joe, that song show and tell. In 1974, that was a great song. Is that Al Wilson? Is that his name? Show and tell. Yeah. The name of the game. There you go. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was the good Al Wilson. This was the shitty Al Wilson. Uh, Father of Tori Wilson and Dawn Marie. She was Was it it her real father? Yeah, it was a real father. Oh, God. Yeah, they got married on an episode of SmackDown. Uh, This wedding is very memorable for the fact that they got married in their underwear. And there was no run-in. You know, the one time you would want to run in, and there was none. But yeah, uh, didn't he have like a fake heart attack? I want to say something <laughs> yeah, happened on the honeymoon. Yeah, did something. something happen on the honeymoon? That might have been. Yeah, I mean, if and anybody then, out there in the chat room could, because I really didn't. Wasn't I occasionally watched at this point? Well, my son, my son. This is po- really good attitude era. Kind of like you know, they were still trying to keep us hanging on. I want to say Don Marie got involved or something like that. Wasn't there something like an affair or something like that or some kind of craziness that happened there? There's something weird happened then. Well, it was it was yeah it was it was Wilson Al Wilson and Don yeah. Marie was the was, was the, that's right the, yeah the okay so, yeah. yeah they went to consummate the marriage and he had a heart attack that was that's what it was that's yeah. what it was on the honeymoon okay shame on him <laughs> oh, should have kept himself in shape <laughs> <laughs> oh. So I think that's, one of many horrible angles that they did uh, at that time. They were just trying to keep us hanging on. That's what it yeah. was. They just kept trying and pushing and pushing. That was so. right around the time of Katie Vick, wasn't it? Or close? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's right getting close. Time, I think yeah. Katie Vick was a little after this, but you could tell the writing was, they were just trying anything at that point. And uh, fortunately, I don't really remember that episode, but I probably watched it. But I think <laughs> it might be, I tuned it out on purpose. 
Yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Marie's yeah. asking a good, good question in the chat room. What if what if Rock versus Roman Reigns? Who would you want to win? Who do who do you think would win? That's a, that's a tough one. Well, that's a good question because you know, again, th- going back to the thirty last night, <laughs> we had some people in the chat were saying that Roman could possibly lose the title before Mania. I said that that was my LA night. LA night was that he'd lose it. Before so this then. would be more of a head of a table match. But if Correct. this, but if this match stays in play and it's for the title something tells me that it's going to be a passing of the torch type match because i don't think the rock has done that yet that type of match he has not um you know you always have that passing of the torch type match if it's for the title and and this is main evented on the sunday night i mean because if the rock wins the title what's going to happen now i mean you're just going to take all the investment that you have with roman reigns and just throw it out the window right and and rock's going to forfeit the title anyway right and you know he's not coming back full time so this could be a passing of the torch if if reigns keeps the title that's what i'm saying because if he doesn't and he loses it to ellie knight or whoever they want they see fit um so does this turn into a head of a table match Get all the Samoans around the ring. You got every single Fatu and Anoy that imaginable comes to this match. Does it turn into that type of match? Because if it doesn't, it stays a title match. I think it turns into a passing of the torch type match. Okay. One of the things. I guess. What, I mean, one of the things I'd how like old to is see. Rock? Is he like 50, 51? He's, yeah, yeah, Rock's up he's, yeah, 50 ish. He's, a, yeah, yeah, he's 50, a couple of years younger than me. So, yeah. Yep. But one of the things I, I'd like to see is I'd like to see The Rock come back and honestly let, let him take the title because I think they've learned right now by put well, first of all, The Rock's probably appeared on, on WWE programming as much as Roman Reigns has in the last year. Let's face it. It's oh, yeah. like, yep, yep, yep. so what would be the difference in, in putting the title on The Rock at this point? I think the WWE right. has learned a lesson with Logan Paul on the publicity that the U.S. title has now gotten with an entire new demographic and new oh, yeah. audience by putting it on Logan yep. Paul. Logan Paul has not shied away from bringing that thing everywhere he goes and is proud to you know right. keep showing it off. And sure. it's brought the WWE a whole, you know, whole demographic they would have never had. That that whole, uh, you know, cutting edge young 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 people out there. So and the and the right. women love him. So, yep, yeah. So I mean, like you said, if he has the title, I think it'll be a passing in the torch type thing. If if you know, I I don't know. I mean, at this point, I don't see Reigns losing the title. But if he, it'd be a good little segue to Mania. Uh, you, you, Will Reigns even be wrestling after the Rumble? I mean, I know tonight there's a three-way uh, match uh, between Knight, Orton, and AJ Styles, and the winner faces Reigns at Rumble. So, you know, take your pick. If LA Knight does win the title, does does Reigns win it back before Mania, or does he go to Mania with the head-of-the-table type match? So, those, what, what about The Rock you know, taking the title at Mania, and now we've got a whole new build-up towards SummerSlam? Yeah, but does The Rock keep the title, though? That's the problem, you know? I mean, is he going to come back? Is he going to stay with the WWE for one year and, you know, be like a Roman Reigns champion, appear once a month on SmackDown and a couple of premium live events? I don't know. That's a a good question, Bruce. Well, one of the things that a lot of people didn't realize is a lot of the times when Roman has actually appeared on Raw or on Raw and SmackDown, a lot of those things have been pre-taped. And people think that that it's live. It's it's not, guys. It's all, it's been pre-taped. The only time he's actually in the building is when you actually see him come out to the ring. All those other other time right. it's pre-taped so oh yeah of course he's yeah. only been there a handful of times in the past year yeah and i think and i think now with the heightened awareness of him um not defending his title not being on tv a lot i think that's a strategic plan by the wwe because maybe come now after or towards the rumble and after that we will get our dose of roman reigns weekly 
or bi-weekly or even you know cross appearances on raw or even nxt or something like that so hopefully they're going to listen to the fans because i don't think triple h is a big fan of uh his champion um you know universal champion not being on the on the flagship shows i mean i know vince this might have been vince's idea for all i know but you know, you're the, you're, you're the universal champion. You're the face of SmackDown, which, by the way, we all know is now moving to uh, the USA Network of October of this year. You know, they paid $1.4 billion for it. So are they sticking it to the USA Network of a Fox Network right now because of that? Who knows? I don't know. But I think we're going to get a good dose of Roman Reigns between now and hopefully Mania once the Rumble takes place. Well, sounds good. Listen, let's take one more subject and then we'll move on to a, a sure. quick commercial break. So okay. on on January 2nd, 2008, an agreement is reached between for the distribution of Chris Benoit's estate. Wow. So wow. the estate was to be divided equally between Chris's two children from a previous marriage and the family of Nancy Benoit. The value of the estate wow. was estimated be, to be between $1.5 and $3 million. I'm actually a little bit surprised that it was uh, it was worth so little, uh, especially with the contracts he signed in the in the, the latter years of his, of his career. But yeah, what what a sad, tragic case. I mean, it's not something that's fun to talk about. But yeah, Benoit was a, was an unhealthy individual. They do blame it on the concussions and the CTE, but the reality is, we know millions of other athletes that have had CTE, and they did not kill their families. They did not kill their kid. They didn't murder their son and murder their wife and then commit suicide. Yeah. This man honestly was yeah. a sick individual. He had some. He had some serious health and mental issues. And uh, yeah, as great of a wrestler as he is, his legacy will forever be tarnished. Yeah, it's too bad. I mean, uh, he was, to me, a phenomenal wrestler. He came in um, at that time with Conan and all those guys, Rey Mysterio. I remember, what was it? What were they called with Dean Malenko and them? They showed up on SmackDown and sat in the front oh, yeah, row. They, oh, yeah, yeah. They, they were part of that, you know, that group. And, uh, you know, of course, him and Eddie Guerrero and all that stuff, close friends. But, yeah, the CTE, steroid use, the drug use, uh, shocking. I mean, my my overall memory of that is that Monday Night Raw when they did a tribute show to Benoit and literally during that show, they had to stop showing everything because they, it came to light right. that it was a, a murder suicide and they just couldn't go on anymore. I remember Vince being in the empty arena. It was just a weird, weird, you know, one of those things is, you know, the internet wasn't as relevant as it is now. It was pretty much starting out back then, so to speak, but you were like, is this a work? Is this real? But you knew it was real because you had access to news uh, sites and all that stuff, and you knew what was going on. And here it is on the USA Network, and Vince is talking about, oh, Benoit is a great man, blah, blah, blah. Then they find out, I think it was an hour into it, after the 9 o'clock hour, the 10 o'clock hour, that they had to stop everything, and you know, it was found out that it was a murder-suicide. It was just a horrible time for wrestling back then. I mean, the, you know, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I mean, the argument to this day goes on. I see it all over the dirt sheets and everywhere else. Should Benoit be in the WWE Hall of Fame? You know, based on everybody else who's been in there and who's incarcerated or, or has uh, done some bad work on the side. But I don't know. I, this is this is a sensitive subject. Um, this is real life. You know, I mean, three three lives were brutally murdered at that time. You know, including you know Benoit included. But it's a sad. It was a sad time for wrestling then. 
Uh, yeah, definitely a black eye, and and the the uh, the jumping the gun to doing that memorial the next day, and that was uh, yeah. ugh, that, that was kind of cringy at the you know a, a, as we learned, I, I we had the internet, we knew we knew what was going on, we kind of saw what was happening during that day, and yeah, it was uh, definitely a, a black yeah. eye on wrestling. Little Patty over there says that uh, no one can take away Chris's ability to the ring. No, you can't argue that he was an outstanding performer. There's no doubt about it, but unfortunately. His legacy now will be what happened outside the ring. And well, that's and, and, you know, my, my comment as far as that goes is Charles Manson actually was a very good musician. But, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to remember him as that. Right? I mean, no, he that's was. True. I mean, he actually wrote a song that the Beach Boys used as wow. one of their B-sides for their, one of their singles. And, it wasn't uh, I mean, Delta, was it? No, <laughs> no, no I, I can't think of the name of it now. But, I, I mean, I've heard his his singing very, very good, very talented, but, like, I don't get the guy's a murderer. Yeah. I mean, he's legitimate have you, you know, psycho, psychotic. So, did you read all that stuff where he was like involved in the MK Ultra and with the CIA? And that's why he kept getting out of jail was because they had actually been doing experiments on him. It's oh, crazy. Wow. Yeah. They, uh, it's pretty crazy. Like, so, <laughs> you know, they, he was in, yeah, involved with those, go, go figure, involved with those LSD experiments and all that stuff back then. That was I, Whitey Bulger, too, wasn't it, Joe? I think Whitey yeah, Bulger. You know, I'm, on the, I'm on the same page as you, Benny. I think your next true crime is going to have to be something about Charles Manson. We did that one already. That was one oh, you did? Oh, okay. Yeah, we Sorry. did Elton Shelter. No, uh, Whitey Bulger, apparently, his first stint in prison, yeah. uh, volunteered for uh, an, ex uh, an experiment where they, they used LSD on him. And I think... Uh, I mean, for the rest of his life, he had problems sleeping and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to watch the movie Black Mass. Yeah, there, there, there's records on. of uh, of CIA agents going in and visiting Manson, which I was I was floored on. I actually think I first heard it on like the the Joe Rogan experience, and then you know you go down those oh, those wow. black those black those holes and start researching stuff and you know conspiracy left, conspiracy right. So, right. Yeah, but listen, is, yeah, I mean, and Little Patty saying his private life should be put aside i guess he was a great wrestler yeah but you know what he killed his family you can't get past that i'm sorry here's what i gotta say though uh carl malone carl malone is a piece of shit i don't know if you know the history of him with with uh with him the mailman yeah you talk the, about the mailman the mailman oh, okay. look at his personal life he knocked up a 13 year old girl when he was in college and then then it denied that he was the father up until the kid was an adult. And at that point he said, listen, you're too old for me to have a relationship with you. But we don't oh talk about God. that with him because that we celebrate him. So I, I get the separation, but there's a right. lot of, a lot of athletes that have done a lot of heinous, heinous acts out there that we overlook because yeah. of their uh, celebrity. And Benoit, yeah. unfortunately, isn't, isn't one of, is fortunately not one of them, but you know, I, I get where Little Pat is coming from because it uh, it happens very very frequently. Yeah, and and for, yeah, I it just, like I said, I mean, I understand where she's coming at. It's a it's a I agree. If you're gonna put him in the Hall of Fame as a wrestler, mm. an all around technical wrestler, first ballot nominee all the way. Right. Unfortunately, the public perception of all this is you, you hear Chris Benoit, you don't hear great in ring technician anymore. You hear a guy who killed his kid. I mean, the way he killed him, he wrapped the cord around, you know, the weight, the the uh, the band from the uh, weightlifting machine, killed his wife, then turned the gun on himself. That's what you hear now, you know, and it's unfortunate. I agree. He was a great technical wrestler. Don't get me wrong. This guy could perform. He did it. He was the world champion. He carried the company. He was the face of the company for a while. I just, 
it's it's I don't know if it's a generational thing. It's like who shot JFK. Now now we well, know he, he, now we know who was involved, but it's a generational thing. Right. You know, it's it's here we are 60 years later talking about JFK. And yeah, we, we all knew growing up there was a conspiracy theory, but now it's come to fruition that there, there really was uh, either another shooter or somebody else on the inside sure. was involved. But unfortunately, you know, that this is where we're at with the Chris Benoit thing. Maybe 25 years from now, when they find out that CTE was much worse than we think it is now or whatever. It's just, it, I don't know if it's, they need a good PR thing or whatever. Um, I agree. Chris Benoit, great technical wrestler. He was an entertainer. He was great, good at what he did. Don't get me wrong. It's just public perception now. Everyone's going to remember him as to what happened in his personal life. And it's and that's tragic. Well, that is a tragedy. And and Luce Cannon, Cannon in, the, in the chat room has a good analogy. O.J. Simpson was a great running back, but, you know, he, he lopped two people's heads off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's, yeah. I mean, we can go on. We we could do this all night. <laughs> oh yeah, After this, this could be like yeah, the next ten shows. <laughs> so listen, guys, we got to take a quick break. We're about forty minutes into this, so uh, we'll all be right. we'll be right back. The Monty and the Pharaoh Show is brought to you by because wine is your second favorite four letter word. California wine, New York attitude, good fucking wine yeah tired of that same old same old breakfast lunch and dinner same old tasting scrambled eggs burger that dinner steak ribs or pork chops why not add a little bit of spice or just a touch of heat to make the difference Change that scrambled egg with a little bit of Johnny Fabulous's John Cena Sr.'s Million Dollar Jalapeno Hot Sauce. Great on burgers, steaks, chops, and those barbecued ribs. And Nitro's Garage for all your automotive needs. Call 646-675-2349. That's 646-675-2349. For all your automotive needs, Nitro's Garage. Ask for Jack. Do you treat your dog as part of the family? <laughs> well, so do we. So why not celebrate your pup's birthday with the ultimate party box? Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Party Pup Info, and let us make your pup's party or any celebration perfection. M&J Video Games and Collectibles. Sport and non-sport cards, wrestling items, autographed items. We buy, sell, and trade. M&J Video Games and Collectibles, located at 1049 Queen Street, Southington, Connecticut, Call us at 1-860-479-9223 or 860-93-GAMES. M&J, video games and collectibles. Hey everybody, welcome back to Wrestling Remembered. I'm What A Day, Joe Lowry, along with our co-host, Benny the Playa Scala. And of course, Bruce Butler controlling uh, the engine room there. He's uh trying to steer the ship right today for us so we're talking wrestling remembered of course thank you everybody for joining us to see everybody in the chat here uh we just had a lively discussion on uh the chris benoit situation and so forth so we're going to segue that into we're going to take it back to january 2nd 2009 washington dc 
we're going to get a little political on everybody now, but uh, the Congressional Oversight Committee's report on the use of steroids was filed with the Office of the National uh, Drug Control Policy. The letter, which was filed by Senator Henry Waxman, states that 40% of WWE talent tested positive for steroids and other banned substances. 23% of TNA, actually 25% of TNA talent tested positive for steroids or other banned substances as well. Chris Benoit tested positive three times prior to his June 06 murder-suicide of his family. Nothing came from this investigation. And the two main reasons I found out that probably nothing came from this was uh, Henry um, Waxman, the senator who was leading uh, the investigation and all that, was uh, chairman of the House Oversight Committee. He actually switched committees right in the middle of all this, believe it or not. And uh, things got filed. Certain senators didn't want to touch it. Uh, but I do believe the second uh, asterisk here might have something to do with Vince McMahon's wife, Linda McMahon, uh, announced her run for Senate. And by the time this all came about, this thing was basically squashed before it went anywhere. Uh, they were asked about it. They were always being referred to somewhere else or somebody else who used to be involved with the uh, hearing were no longer involved with the hearing. So this was a lot of this was a lot of political fanfare and so forth and a lot of um i don't know if it was the justification thing for the wwe and so forth but something tells me that the mcmahon's politics stepping into the, in the political arena this had a lot to do with it i think um because like we said nothing came from this um, typical government stuff right you know you spend years uh researching this stuff but uh guys if i get your opinion on this what do you think about these numbers of 40 percent? now we're going back to 2009 well after the steroid scandal of vince mcmahon 40% of WWE talent tested positive for steroids and other banned substances. 25% of TNA talent tested positive for steroids and other banned substances. It's always a big thing in wrestling locker rooms at this. Always something to give guys that extra or women that extra jump in their step or that extra height in their drop kick and all that stuff. Uh, I'll kick it off with you, Benny. What do you think of those, those numbers at that time post the Vince McMahon steroid Hulk Hogan era? Yeah, I mean – you gotta understand that these guys are under tremendous pressure for you know for how they look. I mean, this this is not Kansas City in 1981 where you have Bulldog Bob Brown who looked like you know somebody took his bowling shirt off from the you know the Wednesday night beer league and put him in a ring. I mean, these guys they had a they had to look jacked. And I mean, I mean, as, as somebody who's lifted weights since 1988, and I wish Phil was here to. You know, to, to chime in, but yeah, you know, you can only do so much in the gym. I don't care how dedicated sure. you are. Yeah. Um, you know, now in my case, you know, I, I what, what I do in the gym is is perfectly okay. That's all I need. But you know, I'm I'm not you know I'm I'm not in a ring every Friday night or every Monday night. So right. you know, you you need that you need that little extra bump. I mean, the, steroids and bodybuilding have been you know predominant for years and years sure. and years and. You know, it's one of those things where it just seems everybody looks the other way, you know, until you have something like a Benoit where, you know, I mean, he tested positive and not only did he test positive, I think he was like off the charts. Oh yeah. Like it was, yeah. The metabolic steroids were like through the roof. I think that was in his blood bloodstream for God's sakes. So, right. You know. um, Bruce chime in on here. What do you think of those numbers? Okay. What, so I mean, 40, 40%. 40 all right, I, I'm actually surprised that it, it is so low. Uh, we have to take a look at Whoa, steroids wow. over over the generations, though. 
Back in the 80s and the 70s, we had anabolic steroids that really, really were horrible to the body. And you, know, they, you saw the, the, the results to the livers and the, the other organs later on in life. Fortunately, ste- fortunately yep. steroids have, have evolved. And some of them, you know, there's almost like kind of a, a gray area between stuff that's good for you, almost yep. really good for you at this point that... It's it's gotten to be a gray area. At that point, that's when it really was a, a gray area. Um, yes, they're performance enhancing, and they did it for the bodies and stuff. But I'm surprised more of more people weren't doing that. You know, look, look at the look at the physiques that were expected. People were expected to have. It, it's hard to yeah. get there. Plus, the performance every day. Steroid people just say, "Oh, think steroids for uh, just for the 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 look." But don't forget, they're also there for the recovery. So that that's right. another aspect of it. So uh, under doctor's guidelines, I know lots of people that have uh, have used steroids in, in very very positive manners. So it's a it's sure, a no, I, it's a gray area. Forty percent. I mean, let, let's look at the you know what the expectation of the WWE wrestler was. So I right. can see that definitely definitely being a higher level. Now, what I want to know is what what the actual rates of other drug use was. The somas, the painkillers, all those other the, the, things. Yeah, the, the banned substances were were right there too. Because if you notice when the report comes out it was, you know, okay, 40% were on steroids. It wasn't a banned substance. They were all doing it. But what what shocked me about this whole thing was after the Vince McMahon steroid scandal, the Vince McMahon almost went to jail. Right. For for he had tw- he was looking at twenty five years plus, and to go ahead and play with this type of fire, especially in your organization, and we're talking two thousand nine. We're not talking ninety two, ninety three, ninety four, and all that stuff. We're talking two thousand and nine. We all know we've already lost Mister Perfect. All those guys. Everybody died that one gym in Tampa, I think, Benny, we were talking about that one time where you know, they had the same steroid use and all those wrestlers died. I, I know Mr. Perfect was one of them. I think Road Warrior Animal or whatever, Hawk was one of them as well. Um, but we're talking 09 now. This is years later when everybody knows they're on juice and all that stuff. Why would they even play with that? That's the thing. I'm th- and he's trying to go public at this time. I think they were starting to do their IPO or at least a couple of years later. Why would you even mess with that? Even trying, that's what perplexed me with all this. And I think that political aspect of it with the Congressional Oversight Committee and that and them finding those stats and then it going nowhere. And then Linda McMahon trying to step into the political arena. And then, of course, a few years later, the WWE goes public with their stocks. Something, you know, this is where this is, you know, behind the scenes stuff here. It's shocking to me when you think about it. And of course, it's not just restricted to wrestling. Look, look at oh, baseball. Yeah. Look oh, yeah. what happened when Jose Canseco, you know, <laughs> said that you know these guys were on steroids. Everybody, like, really, they they ganged up on him. But as it turns out, everything he said was true. Of course. And Roger Clemens still lied. He won't get into the Hall of Fame because of it. Mark McGuire didn't lie, you know, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So it, it's one of the, one of the it's worst the because like a guy like you know guys like McGuire, guys like Bonds. Yeah. You know, guys like A Rod. You know that they they would have even without the you know the PEDs. You know they would have made the Hall of Fame, and now they're not going to make it, which is it's sad. The one yeah. that the one that really uh, what was shocking was when Lance Armstrong and uh, when he when he came out, and especially as he had ruined all those other bikers' careers that had that were trying to come out against him. He ruined their careers, and then it comes out years later that he was a supplier. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's great. And Jeff Je- Will's got some comments here, too. Oh, yeah, look at that. Uh, he's 60 years old, been working out since the 80s, never used performing enhancing drugs and don't require medication at all. Kudos to you, Joe Will. 
And yes, steroids have been around since the 50s. Look up Alvin Roy. He was the first NFL strength conditioning coach for the Chargers. He first used them in the 60s. It's when, uh, oh, and Joe Myers even chiming in, gladiators and Greeks used performance enhancers and it was totally acceptable. <laughs> they called it doping, given the Dutch influence with the dope of choice. Wow. So imagine that. So it's, it, this has been something that's been around way before uh, my time, your time, and wrestling's time, it looks like. Well, so, it's always been for whatever for the advantage. I mean, what was it? It was the speed in the, with baseball in the uh, in the 70s. And I'm sure yeah. before that there was there was something else that they were using to get an advantage. So it's there's yeah. always every there's always going to be somebody who's going to push the limits and the boundaries of, of what they can do in order to get the edge. Well, yeah. if you – I mean, I, I'm old enough to have read a book called Ball Four, which was written by Jim Bouton, who pitched for the Yankees – in the early sixties and then uh, had a long career uh, went up with the, uh, the Atlanta Braves in the late seventies as a knuckleball right. pitcher. But his, his book was revolutionary because it exposed baseball. You know, there was like that long kind of a kayfabe thing that, you know, whatever was in the locker room, whatever you know, went on, it stayed there. In the locker room, and right? and yeah. he, he peeled the curtain back and, you know, had stories about Wiki, uh, Whitey Ford and Mickey Mantle going out drinking and, you know, Mickey looking at, you know, at women, you know, sure, having right. sex, you know, you name it. And, uh, but like things aren't the way that we, the, 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 things are so much different, I think, than we really think they are, I guess right. is what I'm trying to say. Well, like I said, I mean, I remember growing up, they said, you know, the old joke was, what do you call a Dallas Cowboys huddle? A drug ring. Right. You know, it's like all those stories come out actually doing drugs in the huddle. It's like it's insane. It's absolutely insane, though. I, I agree with Luce Cannon. Uh, Luce McGuire is not in. And I agree that Andy Pettit should be in. I hope he gets in. Yeah, Pettit should be in now. That's shocking. OK, wow. <laughs> and Joe Will remembers. I don't remember Bouton pitching for the Braves. Maybe he did. Phil Negro is our knuckleballer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Bouton came his last. I think it was 78 or 79. Ted Turner brought him back from the minor leagues, and he he ended his career with the Braves. Oh, not wow. not very well, though. Yeah, yeah. All right, who's up next? Oh, looks Let's like see. looks like Benny. Benny's back. Here we go. All right. Benny. So January third, nineteen fifty-two. This is kind of odd in Fort Bragg, California, because when you think of this guy, you think of a completely different state. But James Oklahoma. William Ross is born, okay. and known in the wrestling world as Good Old Jr. Good old uh, Ross is often cited as one of the greatest announcers of all time. And he, he first started as a referee in Mid-South. Uh, his career spanned nearly a, nearly a half century. Uh, he's currently employed in, with AEW. Where Now, this is my opinion, and I'm sure I'm going to get some maybe some flack in the chat room. I think he's tarnishing his legacy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote a specific or cite a, a specific example. Uh, they were in Chicago. And what the hell is that guy's name? Orange Cassidy Pockets yeah. is wrestling and with his hands in his pockets and kicking somebody in the shins. And JR said, forget about Dick the Bruiser. And the minute he said that, it's like, no, no, I'm not going to forget about Dick the Bruiser. I, and the first thing I thought about was, what if Dick the Bruiser came in and, and, and came into the ring and some idiot was wrestling with his hands in his pockets and he kicked Bruiser in the shins? What would have happened to that guy? <laughs> He'd be dead. Yeah, thank you. Or Bro, Bro, Bruiser Brody. He would have ended yeah. the guy. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, for, I love JR. Like, I love old old JR. I love WCW JR. I love, you know, WWE JR, Mid-South JR. I do not yeah. love, like uh, AEW JR. 
<laughs> yeah, I, 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 my fondest my fondest memory, of course, is um, you know him coming to the WWE, him and Lawler, you know, doing the pay per views and the hell in the cell with mankind being thrown off by the Undertaker. And you know, I just remember him almost. He made it sound like he broke script and said, "Will somebody get off their damn ass in the back?" and come out and help this guy or call somebody or whatever. It, it sounded real. Like that was, guy, that was classic. You know, that was that, announcing. That, yes. that, that sold it for me. I'm like, you yep. know, you're going to have that because you need that. You need, and Jr. for many years was that guy. Yeah. Uh, whether age and health issues now have caught up to him, maybe uh, some of the, he, you know, he's not as restricted on AEW. So you get the Dick, the bruiser comments and stuff like that. Um, but you know, 50 plus years in the business, maybe it's just time to, you know, sit back and enjoy the high life, I guess. You know what I mean? Maybe, the, maybe it's time, you well, know, uh, Maria, I, I agree with you that the, uh, the Steelers will beat the Ravens tomorrow. That's my prediction. So, so with, with, uh, Jay, okay. with, with JR, I was, I, I've been actually going back and watching on the Peacock network, some of the old matches from, uh, from like Georgia championship wrestling and, uh, oh, yeah, all yeah, those, yeah. Uh, all the other old Southern promotions and stuff. And it was, a uh, JR was, was nobody who was just a behind the scenes guy. You know, Gordon was yeah. the main guy. So, right. It was so Gordon funny Soli. to watch. You know, I, I'm seeing this young Jerry. I'm like, oh my gosh! And then the other funny part is being a WWF Golden Era person with Hulk, the Hulk Hogan. Basically, all the guys that I end up watching in the WWF in that Golden Age, they were all down. Yeah. And how how much interaction they had previously, and yet they never knew each other before. It's uh, it's just funny yeah. to go back and watch yeah. all that stuff. Uh oh! So the uh, number one playmate is in the house, Benny. Oh, all right, best in the house. Best Welcome. in the house. <laughs> so fan favorite, huh? Oh yeah. So, so let, <laughs> great supporter of the show. Always here. Let's fast forward nice. into the year two thousand and Miami. Let's see, it's Miami, Florida. WWE presents Monday Night Raw at the American Airlines Arena on that night. Stephanie McMahon declares Chris Benoit and China co-intercontinental champions, with a stipulation that they must defend it separately, and if one loses, they both lose the title. Sheer brilliance. <laughs> nice. So, gotta yeah. you gotta laugh. I mean, China. China didn't belong in there with, with the guys, even though she wanted to be in there. I, uh, I, I think she would have been the most dominant women's heavyweight champion ever, yeah, and should agree. have been booked in that oh, way. Definitely. Not a, she not was a Rhea, Rhea Ripley before time, yeah. and oh, she yeah. was huge compared Absolutely. to Rhea Ripley. Rhea Ripley's only oh, yeah. five foot seven. China was a legit oh, yeah. five foot ten and solid, solid. She was, she was yeah. solid. She, so I, I yeah. was, you know, unfortunately, the wrestlers kind of have shrunk in the last few years. But uh, yeah, that. Uh, well, what what a concept! And then they they ended up fighting for the title at Armageddon when Chris Armageddon when Chris Benoit ended up uh, you know, taking the title. But uh, you know, China was that first uh, intercontinental female women's intercontinental champion. And honestly, I don't think we should go down that route again. We're having enough issues with. Um, <laughs> I'm not I'm not a fan of intergender. I'm sorry. You know, maybe. What, what what was that match? Didn't she have like a good housekeeping match? Yes, that Something was the like one that. where she won the title from uh, yeah, right? yeah, from yeah, Jeff okay. Jarrett. I'm doing this yeah. by memory. I'm not looking this yeah, up. Well, they, yeah, literally, there was yeah, a I vacuum mean, cleaner in the ring. Yeah, I'm like, I'm sitting there going, look at the size of this woman with a vacuum cleaner. I'm like, this does not look right. But, you know, obviously, it's a Vince McMahon idea, I would have to assume, because he's always in control of everything. Um, but, again, I know we don't want to go down that road. I still say she belongs in the Hall of Fame by herself just for being – the only woman intercontinental champion. I mean, 
you, you can't take that away. I mean, that's 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 on paper. That's 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 lodged in the record books. No, there's no so, reason I mean, she shouldn't my, be in there. That, yeah. Her, my comment I, is not not all the sucking was done by the vacuum cleaner. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> one night in China. There you go. I love those signs. <laughs> I was in China once or something like that. <laughs> I mean, it was just nuts. It was crazy. But whatever. Well, China rhymes with a certain body part, just coincidentally, right? <laughs> oh, I'm surprised they didn't use that for a title of one. There you go, right? Benny. Oh, Man, you, go. you lost yeah, the marketing opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're oversight. Should have hired the player. <laughs> All right. Looks like I'm up again, right? All right. Uh, January 4th, 1999. What is seen by many is the key turning point in the Monday Night Wars. Hulk Hogan defeated Kevin Nash via the Finger poke to the chest. That's right. To win the WCW World Heavyweight Championship on Monday Nitro. Uh, over on the other dial, Monday Night Raw was previously recorded. I know we talked about this last week, which showed a match between Mankind defeating The Rock to win the WWF Championship, which was in Worcester, Mass., by the way. The result of this match was leaked by WCW announcer Tony Schiavone, Skibo, causing approximately 600,000 viewers. Yes, folks, 600,000 viewers <laughs> to get up. Push that remote, and if you're in my house back then, you turn the dial from Nitro right. to Raw. <laughs> WCW never claimed another ratings victory again, and was pretty much out of business two years later. As we all know, Vince McMahon bought them. I know we bought. I know we talked about this last week, but uh, the uh, the Mankind Rock match was taped the week prior because back then they taped Raw one night. They were live one night, taped it the next to show the following week. Of course, I do believe this is um, one of the last pre-recorded Raws because, like I said. What happened after that? They went on to um, rating success <laughs> after that. It's basically what they did. They went on to rating success. My my biggest thing here was um, why the stunt that was pulled. I, I want to say uh, it, obviously it was um, um, Eric Bischoff's doing to have Tony Schiavone announce that. Because why would you even break kayfabe like that? It, I know the wars were that tight back then but why would you want to ruin if everybody else especially now on your own company i mean they committed suicide basically doing that and they missed I don't know. so I many just, opportunities yeah. my favorite opportunity yep. I mean, you're, that they you're ahead shut your mouth just you know let your own product take, you know do the talking for you yeah, I, and so did you guys and by the way real quickly the the um nitro was held at the georgia dome this thing was hyped up for weeks they had over forty thousand fans paid attendance leading up to this night. It was a big deal in Georgia that night, and it, to pull this kind of stunt was catastrophic. So, so catastrophic. the funny part is, if that happened nowadays, you would have also had forty thousand fans in attendance looking at their cell phones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's a good one, huh? So, but that, that that is absolutely crazy. But one of my favorite stories of that era was when you had DX go to Nitro and they wouldn't open the right. doors. But then years later, the interview with Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon said, well, or when they asked Vince McMahon, what would you have done if they had done that same thing to you? He said, yeah. I'd have opened the freaking doors. I would have had the highest yeah. ratings yeah. right then and there. Yeah, absolutely. That's crazy. That was a Norfolk scope, I do believe, right? They went to yes, I believe you're right. Virginia. Yeah. That was a great stunt. I loved it. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm shocked. I am shocked why Bischoff would not open the door. I mean, that would have been that would have been monumental. That, yeah, that we must see TV yep. and then some. You would have been on both networks yeah. simultaneously. You know, something like that could very well have changed the landscape of wrestling for both companies. Right. You know what I mean? You don't know. If that door opens, you know, let's think about that. That that could be a whole show topic right there. 
Yeah, what if? Like, what if yeah, he opened what if, the door? What if, what if that door opened? <laughs> Is that the forbidden door they're talking about now? <laughs> nice. So listen, let, let's fast forward to 2010. Hell freezes over as Bret Hart makes his first appearance in a WWF, WWE ring since the infamous Montreal Screwjob 12 years earlier. Brett buries long, the long-standing grudge with arch-rival Shawn Michaels in what is regarded as one of the most emotional segments in Raw history. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So, sorry, I mean, I think it might have been a... Part of me thinks they, uh, they had buried the hatchet long before that. Um, Brett needed... Well, we all know it's, it's, been, it's been confirmed it's a work, right? The screw job was a work. I, but That's I, been confirmed. Well, some people say it is. Some people still deny it. But I'm telling you, I, I, I still think, think it's, it's a work. work. I absolutely think I, it's a work. Um, I think it is. You know, Vince Mc Vince McMahon is not that stupid. He, you know, he definitely would not have have let Brett get to that point with that title. Right. But at the same time, let's face it. At this point, Brett needed the WWF or WWE. The WWE did not need Brett. Brett was nobody. Right. Brett WWE yeah. was building. Longer range stars. This is uh, an opportunity for Brett to make some extra money, getting into a legends contract. You know, um, yeah. Hall that, of Fame. Yep. All that. that, that yeah. That's about it. That's all it was. Uh, yeah. WWF did not need him. He needed them. Yeah. I, I genuinely think that the Hart family, especially Stu when he was alive, they weren't big fans of Vince's style of wrestling and his approach. Obviously, they're old school, uh, the dungeon, all that stuff. Um, but you know, they couldn't, I think money spoke volumes to them. So they put aside that that pride thing with the wrestling to, you know, because I remember Stu Hart was at ringside for something. And I'm like, wow, Stu Hart's actually at ringside for a WWE event? That's crazy. Like, cause, I mean, similar to Vern Gagne. Vern Gagne wanted to kill Vince McMahon. I can only imagine what Stu Hart wanted to do, especially after the, um, um, I hate to say, but the Owen Hart tragedy. So yeah. that's a tough, that's a tough one. Yeah, didn't Vince also screw him out of the initial payment for Stampede? Oh, something like that. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Yeah, I mean, you're supposed to yeah. give him a million bucks, and he never paid him. Yeah, yeah was, there's, there's a lot of stories out there like that that you can, like the Carl Malone story, Bruce. Just yeah. Start researching, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I had no idea. About Wait that. till I'm you guys really, read that. I'm and uh, guy now. yeah, that, it, it was a sad oh, thing because I was a mailman fan. Uh, he had stocked in. Oh, he had stocked in back in the early '90s. I mean. He, Oh the yeah, they, yeah. Stockton, you put the ball on the floor. He's stealing it or passing it. One, one yeah. of the those two things is going to happen. It's crazy. Yeah, that are, guy is. He was unbelievable, and you know, the mailman would not have the amount of points he has if it were not for John Stockton. Right. Probably delivered a lot more than the mail, right? <laughs> <laughs> Man, nice. you're a fighter. Gee. <laughs> so let, let's fast forward to. January 5th, 1998, where Stone Cold Austin stuns virtually the entire Raw roster in preparation for the <laughs> Royal Rumble a month later. Well, this was probably one of the first times Stone Cold stoned, that stunned everybody in the ring. It definitely wasn't the last time because uh, no. anytime you were in the ring, you, you know, you were going <laughs> to get it one way or the other. Even if you were going to drink a beer with him, guess what? The second you yep. finish that beer, you're getting a kick to the gut. <laughs> Well, this is uh, what, what, this is January fifth, right? Yeah, January sixth, ninety eight. Okay, so that was yeah. the road to WrestleMania because I went to WrestleMania fourteen, March of ninety eight, where he won the title with Tyson and all that stuff, and Shawn Michaels. So obviously, Stone Cold. We are at the height of uh, Stone Cold era right here. 
This is uh, must-see TV, Monday Night Raw. What's Stone Cold going to do? Who's he going to stun? You know, I mean, I, the list is endless. I mean, do, we should probably Everyone. do a show on every everybody that Stone Cold Steve Austin is stunned. Let's make a list because if anybody was a guest star on Raw, they were stunned. They learned how to take that bump. They were gonna. They were gonna get stunned. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> Have you read the stories about the Rock taking the bump, and every time he wanted to do it a different way and more extravagant, oh, yeah. more extravagant. <laughs> but you know what? It never got old. No. I don't care how many stunners the guy no. did. It never got old. We marked out every <laughs> single time. It, it, and I always think about it like if you put anybody else other than Stone Cold to do that stunner, nobody could sell it. Nobody could do it. It has to be Stone Cold. So, um, I can't see Mick Foley doing it. I can't see Shawn Michaels doing it. Like, just say you know, you know, pre-Stone Cold era. Could anybody pull that off? No, Stone Cold was the only character to this day that could probably pull something like that off. So, do you realize there's so few characters that could walk in the door today and do exactly what they did 20 years ago, 30 years ago, yeah. 40 years ago, and still get that same pop? And the, the list is is few. What do you have? You have Hulk Hogan. You have The Rock. If anytime he walks into the arena and says anything, the the crowd, Stone Cold Steve Austin. I, I I mean I can't put Cena in that same bout because he doesn't he doesn't always get the pop. Um, outside no. of those three, who else could you possibly put in that in that? I couldn't. Big John Stud. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I Golden I, Terror. Yeah, the Golden Terror. Or um. We're talking so many years after these guys were relevant that they can still come well, back and the, the fans chant the exact same thing. But wasn't it two years ago WrestleMania Stone Cold came back and stunned everybody or whatever? Yeah. During, when they went to Dallas, at t Stadium. The glass Look at the pop you got then. That was insane. Yeah, the glass breaks, not, the fans go nuts. Yeah, the yeah. glass. Yeah. Do you when you hear the glass, it's your ass. Do you oh, smell yeah. what The Rock is cooking? The fans are going to pop. We're 20 years since these guys were relevant. Yeah, that's because I think we're at that point. Well, we've been at that point where these were genuine stars in the making and were allowed to do what they could do at the at the height of what it was like lightning in a bottle. Now they're just constantly trying to manufacture this type of talent and it's not working to the point where they have to put in fake crowd noises just to get the pops. Um, you can't do it. I, I don't know what it is. It's It's a God given thing. Maybe. I don't know. You I have can't to teach it. They're trying to manufacture it. You, you can't manufacture emotion because, yeah. you know, back in the day, you know, Stone Cold was positioned as the anti-hero. Right. You know, he was the, you know, a guy who flipped his boss off and assaulted. I mean, how many of us wanted to do that? But we couldn't. But yeah. here is a guy who's doing it every week. Yeah. So we got invested in the guy. Now, I mean, there's, there's really nothing. To, what, what, what can we get invested in? It's it's not that they're it's too busy manufacturing. It's too much money. It's like it, it's gymnastics, and, and it, it it becomes so watered down that if it does get over for one night, they're gonna saturate the product and the media with it. And now with social media, you know, it, this is the problem. I think we're gonna face with the returns of CM Punk and The Rock and all that stuff. If the WWE has this great momentum now, going towards the Rumble, are we gonna we how would how are they gonna up the ante? Now everyone's now everyone's tuning in. They're probably watching SmackDown right now, going, we want to see the next surprise. And the one time they don't get that surprise, the letdown happens. A, a case in point last night, Triple H was rumored to make this big announcement on Peacock last night regarding the WWE. No announcement came. The only thing that came out was a press release, say that NXT and uh, 
uh, Money in the Bank's going to be at in Toronto. That was it. Another that, that was like a letdown. People were religiously they were hyping it up. WWE Network, I mean Peacock, everybody was hyping it up, and there was no announcement. So you know, I don't mean to get sidetracked with that, but I'm tuning in now, and I you know I'm taping all these shows, and I'm I want to see the reaction. I want to see, but if it doesn't happen, you've raised the bar again. Where do you go from there? You've had two major returns now in a month: CM Punk and The Rock. Where, where do you go from there? You know, like what happens now? If you if you're bringing back old talent to get everybody's attention again, I feel bad for the rosters because they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing, and you can't manufacture it. You know. But here here here's the problem as I see it is. They're not fans anymore. Everybody, like we, we are wrestling fans. Right. We watch wrestling with emotion. You know, it it mattered to us. These people, you know, I don't want to say like generalized, but the the average fan who watches now, they don't consider themselves a fan. They consider themselves like an analyst because they have these opinions that they 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 break down everything on Facebook and they yeah. get in these huge arguments. And we didn't, I mean, we didn't approach it that way. Like when, when Bruno was in the ring, like my heart was in my throat, like, damn, is Bruno going to lose tonight? Yeah. And, and people will never have that kind of emotion anymore. Yeah. Well, it, it's a different era. I get it. It's a different generation. Uh, I've been around, you, obviously, Benny, you've been around longer than me, wrestling fan wise. Um, Bruce, you, you had a different era. I had a different era. I've seen the. I've gone from 1981 to now and seen the sport just change. Some for the good, some for the bad. You know, do I want to go back to the days of Saturday morning at 10 o'clock, listening to Jim McHugh announce my favorite wrestles? Sure, I'd love that. Um, but is the product a little bit better today? Sure, sports entertainment yeah. and all that stuff. My main thing is how are you going to keep everybody keep everybody's attention span now? Because with these two huge comebacks between CM Punk and The Rock, where do you go from here? I know you're trying to hype up the Rumble and we're in WrestleMania season, but what happens after WrestleMania? Are we all going to be hung over from all this hoopla and craziness. Like, how do you repeat that? How do you keep that going? What is right. What's up Triple H's sleeve? Who's coming back? What are they going to do? Who are they going to sign? But going back to the main topic at hand, you can't manufacture the Stone Colds, the Rocks. These guys, it was lightning in a bottle. Organic. They were allowed to do what they could do. The Rock was I, – I still to this day do not see anybody on any roster anywhere throughout the world, maybe MJF, but not clearly as entertaining as The Rock was when he grabbed the mic, whether it was backstage. I mean, that backstage vignette, that three-week stint with the hurricane was unbelievable. That was magic. You took a, a B wrestler, uh, Shane Helms, Hurricane Shane Helms, and you put them in a locker room together. They created magic. That's lightning in a bottle. That's stuff you don't see anymore. And they try to manufacture it. And it's like almost like watching paint dry. And I hate to say it. You want them to succeed. You just don't have it. You know what I mean? You guys understand where I'm coming with that? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Is everybody out there in uh, so, so, hey, <laughs> the Betty, chat understand where I'm coming from? Hey, Betty, down? I see you interacting in the chat a little bit. What's going on in the, what's going on in the chat? Uh, yeah, good point. Yeah, right. uh, J.A. Will says that uh, when you bring back old guys – that means you don't have the internal star power. And right. if I was a WWE main eventer, I'd be upset that The Rock is needed to sell tickets. But, you know, exactly. obviously he is. Yep. Uh, Maria chimes in. The WWEs are making the money they once did. Um, a little confused on that one, Maria, because they are a marketing machine. If you're talking strictly on wrestling, probably not. 
but they have their hands in every single product that we're looking at. If you look around your room today, they have their hand in their product, the, the, your products there. Um, but I, it's like I said, it's all part of, I mean, where, where's the next rock going to come from? I mean, are, are we too busy thinking about who's going to be the next rock? And can somebody come on their, on their own? I, I feel bad for LA Knight. He's had a great past six months, but he's still being compared to Stone Cold because he's doing the yeah thing. And it's, we've heard it before with stone cold and uh, with the what and all that stuff. So, you know, new, fresh and exciting is something that we're, you know, we, we need, I love the nostalgia. I love people coming back and so forth, but I just don't, you know, you can't manufacture it. It's tough. I mean, there's gotta be somebody out there. I, I think MJF may come close, but you know, he, it is what it is with him. He's going to be out for a while. He's going to torn labrum. So I don't know. I don't know, guys. And I just, I, I disagree with you on the MJF. MJF has is a phenomenal on the mic. He just does not have the size. The guy is only five right. foot seven, five foot eight, five foot nine. He's not big at all. Once he, when you see him stand next to John Cena, I think Cena's six one or six two. Yeah, he was oh, yeah. so much yeah. smaller than him. He's going to end up being in that same boat as, as Johnny Gargano. I listen, Johnny Gargano, yeah. phenomenal wrestler. Guess what? You're irrelevant. They're all great athletes. They're all great athletes. You're irrelevant yep. because you're so small compared to these other guys. I'm sorry that the, the, it, WWE, I, I, WWE is always going to be the land of the big guys. We're only going to have right. so few Rey Mysterios out there. So Right. I grew up in that era, too. Wrestlers were larger than life. And I'm not talking about Andre the Giant because he was larger than anybody. I'm talking when I saw a wrestler walking down the street, you knew he was a wrestler. Yes. You get a guy like Orange Cassidy. You even get somebody like Seth Rollins. You get somebody like um, Darby Allen. These guys walk down the streets. I don't know. Are they friends of my kids? I don't know. These I guys don't have. I, I saw you know what I mean? like When I saw Hook in yeah. person, oh, my I'm gosh. Sure. I, I was just, I'm like, all right, this guy is. Probably that's Cash's son, by the way. Yeah, he's probably right. an inch or two shorter than me. I'm not big. I'm five foot nine, a little over two hundred pounds. Yeah. I'm not a small dude. Yeah. Not a huge dude. I I, I yeah. dwarfed Hook. It's all it's all character based. Yeah, it's all character based now, which and, is and, great and it's to fine. a point. But let's make it realistic. Yeah. Listen, you can have a big mouth. That doesn't mean you're going to be a tough guy. I know plenty of tough little shits that get their ass kicked all the time. They just have that mouth, right. and they're not afraid to get their ass kicked. Look, look at Spike Dudley. Uh, Spike Dudley kept putting himself out there. Uh, what was it? Uh, what was the uh, 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 hardcore Holly? The uh, the little ho Holly. Uh, oh yeah. He, he yeah. put himself out there. Oh, he's got himself yeah. his ass kicked. Knowing he's going to get his ass kicked by the big guys. That's what it was about. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it, it's. I don't know. Go ahead, Benny. No, there's a there's a much larger issue here, and uh, Joe. You, you, how close did you live to the Boston Garden? Eight miles south. Eight miles. How south. often did you go? I went every month. Right, every month. Right. Every so Saturday. you went at least twelve first, times. A year. First did Saturday you of every month. Of Boston okay, there Garden you go. And yep. you, you went, and you couldn't wait to let next. Right. Yeah, you were chomping at the bit. You but went. And did got, you I feel like you had a personal connection with these did. guys? Because you were there every single month. You probably, you probably went to spot shows besides the Garden. You know, yep. Cod Coliseum, things like that. So high you school. Probably, you might have went twenty times a year. Nowadays, right. you know, how often are they in Boston? They're not uh, <laughs> three times a month. Probably. It's become wrestling has become a, year, a totally yep. uh, yeah. Is WWE making money? Hell yeah! But they're not making it. They're making it in different ways than I think it should be made. The way I think it should be made is 
you know, people like us buying tickets to go to see a match, but that's not even a, an option yeah. anymore for us. I mean, I'm in, I'm about 25 miles from uh, Tampa, Amelie Arena. Yeah, I can go like once every, you know, 12 yeah. to 15 months. Sure. You don't really I – mean, it's so impersonal now. And I don't think wrestling was made to be impersonal. No, no, no absolutely. I, 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 I look at my youth. Yeah, I look at my youth. When I first started getting into wrestling, and it's one of the reasons I enjoyed it, was it was very, very tangible. WWF taped every month in the Poughkeepsie Civic Center. So I didn't get to go oh, yeah. every every month, but every couple of months I got to go. And guess what? I got to watch weeks and weeks worth of matches getting filmed. Right. It, it did. It made me feel part of it. And then, you know, once I realized uh, that one of the things for me was I got to see a flower shop episode filmed twice exactly the same. So I was like, oh my God, it really <laughs> is scripted. And then I felt like, yeah. wow, they let me in on this little bit of a secret coming to this arena all the time. And uh, yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I um growing up, I mean, you talk about being invested. My Saturdays changed forever when I found wrestling. It's changed <laughs> even more a year after when cable TV came around, because I can tell you from nine to noontime every Saturday morning, it was WWF wrestling, world class championship wrestling from Texas. And then from six oh five to eight oh five, it was Georgia Championship Wrestling, then World Championship. And and, and then nothing the reason, short then of a reason, nuclear holocaust would have right. moved you from that TV set. Exactly. Right? And then of course I you know, if I went to wrestling that night, I was home in time to watch the old WOR repeats at midnight. What you know, even though it was the same thing going, I just saw him wrestle live. So and that was like a big deal. Now these guys are more than household names. They're on lunch boxes, they're on bottles, you see them in commercials and all that stuff. That 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 I'm trying to think of the word that I want to say nostalgia, but like you look forward to seeing these guys because you only did see them it live once a month. But then again, you only did see them once a week on TV if they if they appeared. So you know what I mean? Like so that element was that that was there that you wanted to go see them. We are so saturated. And I did a what a day uh, podcast on this. We are so saturated with wrestling product now. If you were a true fan and watched every hour of every single wrestling promotion, you would have no job. You would have no life. You'd be in front of the TV or computer screen seven days a week because wrestling is really on seven days a week at hours at a time. So it's it's, it's too much. It's different now. Like Jay Will saying, Benny, you can book a show at the Fort Hesley Armory, which the, the Homer Hesley Armory in Tampa had a show every Tuesday night. So, yeah. I mean, if you were, a, you know, I, I live about 20 miles. If I lived in Florida in 1979, yeah, I could have went 52 times a year and saw Kevin Sullivan, Superstar Billy Graham, Bugsy yep. McGraw, Mike Graham, Bob Roop, you know, you name it, Mark Lewin, uh, Sullivan. Yeah, but I mean, does, that, part and, of it was there was back then. If you didn't see it live, there was no other option. And I think a lot of organizations are all of them are dropping it, it yeah. at, at that at this point when you don't have something special to it. You know, let, let's face it, you can see a rerun of absolutely anything every on any any YouTube site, anything like that. Yeah. There's that that specialness is lacking, and uh, I, that that's part of part of what I what I miss of it. It, it isn't. It's not personal anymore. It's global. No, it's long distance. Yeah, the chat, the chat's heating up too here. Joe Myers and uh, Jay Will are having a conversation that Nia Jax can whip anybody on either roster, women's roster, and of course you can't you can't invest in it. I think this is what Joe Myers is saying, talking to Jay. I can't buy it when they give her squash matches because you do not believe the match to be legitimate if she loses. She's a beast, and she means that in a good way. It's true. There's no investment. You go. 
you know, the squash matches that what are they called in talent enhancement matches that we grew up with, you know, the, 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 the Frankie Williams and all those guys, they would have put over the talent to show them. But now, nobody wants to put over anybody. Nobody wants to put everybody. It's all about me. What can I do? And I, and I get it. And then when you do see a squash match, because AEW is famous for it now, Sky Blue, all those people, they're all, they're all in the ring. They're there. I think um, Mariah May made her debut against somebody, and that was pretty much almost like a squash match, even though the ending was a little off. But um, it's hard to invest in that when there's no story. We were watching wrestling the other night, and I'm looking, I'm watching AEW, and I'm sitting there going, None of this makes sense because they're just out there flying around the ring. There's no investment. There's no right. Why do you hate this person? What's going on here? It, it's whatever you can throw in on the TV, and if it catches someone's eye, they're going to watch it. The, Wrestling has become Cirque du Soleil. It really has. It's flipped immediately. You can hit a, a, a flip yeah. and a drop kick and all these things. That, there's no buildup. It doesn't start off. You know, we've talked yeah. about it before right. with a Where's test of strength or uh, you know a simple yeah. headlock, and we're ranking it in there or. Uh, you know, the things to build up, gradually damage somebody to the point of where you can perform your finisher and put them out. Yep. And, and that's, where I, that's where I feel the bloodline is, is a great storyline. Um, it's an actual story. The writing has been phenomenal. They need to keep it going. Um, that gets me invested. But that's only one element of part of the show. I'm not going to watch all the other matches because I just want to watch the bloodline. And if that's what's going to carry your show, then I'll just DVR everything and I'll shoot right to the bloodline to forget everybody else. Well, I, they, um, so I, I get what you're saying with that. I just uh, the chat's really lively tonight with everything going on here. So I want to thank everybody for time and So I just I just feel that yeah, it's a generational thing. I think we grew up in a different era. Bruce grew up in a different era. Benny grew up in a different era. But there's one thing that we all have in common is that we invested our time, our emotional and our in our mind and body to the product. Now it's, I'll just flip on my phone and I heard there was a good match. You might not even be a wrestling fan or, or a sports entertainer fan. You're watching the match because oh, someone told me to watch the match. You know, it's, it's, it's on my feed. It's on my Instagram feed. You know, that's another thing now. They just throw everything on the Instagram and social media. So if you didn't see what happened, you're going to see what happened no matter what because it's going to be on your feed. So, <laughs> From the I, I think they should use these opportunities to build up and, you know, Use the social media to build towards those premium live events or build towards an event to make them to get that maximum impact at the moment. And I don't think that they're yeah. doing that. They're they're satisfied with it just trickling in over the course of the week. And I, I get it. They're getting the views. It may take a little bit more time and the ratings may be yeah. skewed, but I just think there's a lack of build towards anything nowadays. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I I agree as well. One more quick thing though, when the WWE network was in full swing before they moved everything over to the streaming platforms, they used to do live um they would have these live almost like a live look in. Let's go now to so and so arena and we're going to watch Bailey wrestle somebody. That was cool cuz that was something like that would happen on a Saturday night 10 o'clock, you know, oh, let's look and see what that arena looks like or or something like that. I would love if they could bring something like that back. Like, a, you know, they call them premium live events now, but those are just, you know, glor almost like pay-per-views or whatever they're called now. My thing is they should have like a live look-in at a house show somewhere where something's going to take place. That would that would probably be something that's worth looking into to get the fan invested. Hey, hey listen, I, I have a, something I've been meaning to ask you guys because you guys were – when I was sure. probably about 10, 
11 years old, there was a wrestling show that came on. I believe it was on locally. It was on uh, PIX. So WPIX, Benny's might be familiar with that. But it was uh, Gordon Soley and somebody else would host like wrestling news. And then they would go back and they would talk about Georgia Championship Wrestling or the UWF or the NWA. Was that uh, Joe Pettisino? I'm just I trying so, to, yeah, I, I, I'm trying yeah. to remember the show. I was young, so young, I can't quite. I vague, and there was a, a Bonnie Blackstone, I think. Is that like early eighties? Was that early eighties? It was definitely early so, early eighties. Yeah. yeah, I think I think I remember that because uh, when you Universal UWF was only around in the mid eight uh, early eighties, right? Jr. was an announcer. Yeah, yeah, to the mid to the I think eighty seven when it was when they combined with NWA with uh, yeah. with Doctor Death. That, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what what are you trying to get at, Bruce? No, like, I just wanted to. Like no, that? I was trying to. I, I I just had this in my head. I'm trying to remember if it was real or not, or what it what what it was. And <laughs> it was you know, real. <laughs> you know, and especially that was like my my introduction to Gordon Soley. We were talking about him a little while ago, and with Jim Ross and stuff. But I've been meaning to right. ask you guys that because you know it's one of those things that I can kind of remember but can't quite remember. Right. No, I get. Yeah, I, I do vaguely recall that PIX, uh, but I think that was syndicated, right, Benny? I believe PIX, so. PIX yeah. probably just picked it up and they just threw right. It. They just yeah. Don't forget the cable boom was taking place in the early '80s too. So, um, if I miss something on Championship Wrestling and I didn't tape it at ten o'clock in the morning, I can go to WOR at midnight that night, uh, the New York affiliate, and they would show the same card again, um, just with the New York interviews and so forth. So I could always see what happened. So that might have been like a syndicated thing. So cool right. stuff. Yeah. So listen, I, th I think it's Benny's turn again. We uh. It is, yes. A January 6, 1983 in San Juan, Puerto Rico, World Wrestling Council champion Carlos Colon, who is Carlito's dad, uh, defeats NWA World Heavyweight Champion Ric Flair in a non-title champion versus champion match. They did, in WWC in Puerto Rico, they did a lot of this kind of stuff where, yeah. you know, here in the States, you'd have uh, Backlund versus a Bockwinkle or Backlund versus a Flair or even a Graham, I think. Who did it was Graham versus uh, Harley Race after Billy won a WWF title? Um, but the title never changed hands. It was always some kind of Broadway or something like that. Where like in Puerto Rico, they would actually have you know the, like Flair would, would you know would uh, lose clean to the, the to Cologne, and yeah. I, I think that was pretty uh, you know pretty cool thing. That, that champion versus champion. I remember first reading about it in a magazine. What was it? 80, 83, 84, 82? Backlund, Flair, Georgia, Atlanta, Omni, Scrappy McGowan, the referee. I think it was right. 82. And I was like, wow, the NWA champion versus the WWF champion. And I'm like, wow, that, that that's something. But that ended at like a double count out or something like that. Yeah, but, you, you, yeah. I mean, now we know that like there yeah. was no way either one of them was going to win. No, I, I get that. So, but that's before, you know, pre ter you know, pre Hogan, you know, territory days and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, Puerto Rico. I, I used to watch the old videos of that. I mean, Abdullah the Butcher would scare the living hell out of me. And his matches with Carlos <laughs> Colon, the blood bats that they would have, and the oh, forks yeah. and the spoons and the knives. And I'm like, yeah. this is sick. <laughs> they were both registered at like Saks Fifth Avenue. <laughs> yeah. uh, Abdullah was Abdullah was my nightmare as a little kid. I, I, oh, I, I he used to stick quarters in his scalp, in his and, forehead. And I've met him as an eye. adult. And I mean, now he, I, I know him and. He's a funny individual. He's actually such a he's such a cool dude. He's hilarious. Um, I yeah. think, it, it, but I, I don't know if he would have ever gotten over if he had to use his own voice. He's got that little bit of a high pitched voice. Oh yeah. But right. then again, he well, can talk. He's got that jive to him, and he, he's 
He's such a hilarious man to be around. Bruce, that brings me to a thing you just said, a wrestler that would scare you as a kid. Back at the old Boston Garden, the wrestlers had like a 20-foot window where they had to walk through fans to get to the locker room. And if you got there early enough, you were there to, to, to pat the wrestler on the back. One guy scared the living crap out of me, and it was Killer Khan. Uh, I know he just passed <laughs> oh, away. Yeah. He, these guys would not they, they would not break kayfabe. Once that door opened, he would fly through that crowd. He would scare the living piss out of you because he didn't want nobody to touch you. Guy, and yeah. he was just – but then when Morocco came in, I loved Morocco, and I was patting him on the back. He took a swing at me because I was, you know, patting him on the back too much. But he didn't scare me like Killer Khan did. Killer Khan was fighting Andre the Giant that night in a stretcher match, and, you know, everybody wanted a, a piece of this guy. So he had to play the role to get through the crowd. It was only a 20-foot window that they had to get through. But, you know, security wasn't like it was back then, but – Killer Khan scared the living crap out of me when I was a kid when uh, he would come into the garden. That's a subject no we have to do yeah. one day. Is the greatest mist spitters ever. Killer Khan's oh, got to yeah. be up there. You know, the Kabuki. George the Animal Steel. Yeah, there's, so, there's a lot of the them. Animal. A lot of I them. I've seen him. George the Animal Steel, I remember watching him at the garden. He, he would scare people at oh, ringside. Yeah. He'd go after people at ringside. They'd run. I'd, I'd be sitting in the balcony and I'd see like a, you know, 35 people moving out of the way. Like, what happened there? Like, oh, George Animal Steel's in the ring. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, He's thrown after uh, Gary Capetta all the time, too. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it Jimmy Snooker used to eat his flour? His, uh, <laughs> his lapel or whatever? All that stuff? My God, yeah. Uh, little Patty says Mick Foley as mankind scared the crap out of her. He was pretty uh, scary. He was. Ooh, Jay Will with the Mongolian Stopper and Pack Song. There's some Ooh, names. That's some good stuff. That's some good stuff there. Archie Goldie. Yeah, no kidding. I've always wanted to see the Mongolian Stomper. You know, I, 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 Jay, I will say, Pac Song, when I first saw him, I think it was probably like in the late 70s uh, in uh, CWF, Florida. And he was he was a scary-looking guy. I mean, big guy. And yeah. I think he used a stomach cloth, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Wow. But, yeah, very scary. Beth Hopper chimed in and said she was expecting that major announcement for Triple H, and it was nothing. I agree. Yep. Go ahead. And Jay Will said, Bru Bernard was scary as a kid. He was on a card at a high school gymnasium, and uh, it looks like he did his job there. I imagine, <laughs> I imagine Ox Baker scared the shit out of a lot oh, of yeah, people. Oh, yeah, he would be mad. Maybe Mad Dog Michonne. Same he thing. Was, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, these guys. I mean, you know who I used to be scared of and only on TV when he was rocking and rolling against Yvonne Erics was uh, Wild Bill Irwin. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Uh, and uh, that leads me right to Bruiser Brody. Yep. Bruiser Brody was a monster. Uh, you know, yep. the, the Barbarian, same thing. He, he came through. He was, uh, you know, yep. you know, swinging. God, he was huge. Barbarian was huge. And wow. did he tag team with the Warlord? Something like that? Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah the Powers of Pain. Powers. Yeah, that's it. That was Even it. going back a few years, Killer, Killer Kowalski. I mean, and the guy legitimately tore somebody's ear off. Yeah. Man, I got yeah, Will I says got, that uh, Dusty Road turned good against Pac Song. He did use the stomach claw. Okay. What an active uh, chat Marie. today. Listen, I got to say, everybody, thank you. That's crazy. The amount yeah, of you guys the interaction we've had. This is crazy. That's what we Maria wanted. says she would not. What happened? Maria says she will not eat anything at Abdullah the Butcher's restaurant. <laughs> Beth Harper says, I want some of Playa. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I didn't see that one. Where's that at? No, that's that go. Yeah, that's there. I see it. Oh man, Ox, awesome. Ox Baker, awesome. bad ring work, great heel. Oh, yeah, Killer Kyle Cox. I got a great photo of um, Killer Kowalski at the Old Garden. 
you know, looking down the rope, he was he was a menace to be uh, to be reckoned with back in the sixties and seventies. Then you got a guy like Bugsy McGraw, who maybe wasn't really scary per se, but he was crazy enough that like you wonder, like, is this guy legit crazy? I mean, probably so many of them. It could be uh, that's like the sheep herders. They were they were crazy, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Before they were the bushwhackers. I mean, yeah, the sheep they herders, were pretty yeah. scary. Yep. Yeah, yeah to... they got all circused out when they went to WWE. So. That's a funny story from them because I, I was a kid watching them in like the UWF, NWA, bloody matches, beating the crap out of each other. And then a year later, I'm watching them going, whoa, hey, and looking at each other's arm right. yeah, in, yeah. in Raw. Uh, in Raw in WWE. Sardines, it's right? like, whoa, wait, what? Yeah, the, the, the Kiwi Sheep Herders were like one of the yeah. most vicious tag teams ever in uh, was a world of Southwest. Uh, championship uh, wrestling. So loose cannon Yokozuna kayfabe me when it was just me in the ring, him in the hallway when he was 12. <laughs> <laughs> that might have been a sight, huh? Yokozuna, Jesus, oh, my god, all these guys, all these names, they take you right back, though, right? One name oh, yeah. brings you right back. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, it's wrestling remembered, and we're all remembering wrestling, yeah, yeah no definitely, kidding, huh? definitely. And uh, yeah, so it looks like, uh, hey, Joe, looks like uh, you're up yeah. again. All right, here we go. Uh, January 6, 1995, Birmingham, Alabama. By the way, Charlotte Flair had her surgery in Birmingham. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage makes his in-ring WCW debut, uh, defeating Avalanche. Savage left the WWF previously because he was deemed too old to be an active wrestler. Hmm. Savage wanted to work a program with Shawn Michaels where Savage would culminate the feud by passing the torch. Uh, interesting stuff there. Uh Randy Macho Man Savage going to WCW, um, immediately they wanted to reunite the Mega Powers. And I do believe a week before or so, um, he showed up in WCW, had an interview saying, talking about everything's a love-hate relationship with Hogan and all that stuff. So what happened was on WCW Saturday night, there was a match, Hogan and somebody else, he actually had to save Hulk Hogan. The whole thing culminated with a handshake, and of course they reunited the Mega Powers. To me, this is another strong point of WCW poaching WWE talent and trying to replicate what Vince McMahon had already done, uh, obviously reuniting the mega powers and so forth. So um, that's pretty much I have on all that. I mean, that was his in-ring <laughs> debut at that time, but he was actually on TV a couple of times before that. WCW Saturday Night Main Event in that course, that other interview we had. But um, what do you guys think? Do you think this is just another Bischoff thing of just trying to poach Vince McMahon's ideas? Reuniting the mega powers. I tell you what, though, I remember, and this was very unusual, that when Savage left, yeah, McMahon actually went when you know he was still an announcer. But yeah. I mean, at that by that point, you kind of knew he he owned the company. But sure, he he actually wished him luck. Yeah, he said he his contract expired, and um, you, you think about it, 1995, Savage would have been maybe what 42, 43. Around there, in, yeah. in incredible shape, and I mean, can you imagine that would have been a hell of a program between sure. him and Shawn Michaels? I, I really think uh, Vince Jr. missed the boat here. I think they could have kept him. I mean, Randy was still in incredible shape. He, I mean, the guy was always a phenomenal worker, he's a great uh, athlete, ball player, everything, yeah, absolutely. Yep. And I just I think they they blew this one. Hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely, Bruce. What do you think? I, I, I think uh, I think Macho Man Savage could have been in the ring until the day he died with the shape the guy was in. Uh, at forty two yeah, years yeah. old, let, let's face it: the current WWE champion is older than forty two years old. So, or <laughs> Universal Champion. 
He could have yeah. definitely handled it. Macho Man, one of my favorite, my favorite, one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Um, yeah, I, I definitely think WCW could have done more with him. Um, yeah. But let, let, let's not forget that uh, he probably would have had a job forever with WWF if he wouldn't have slept sure. with Stephanie. Yep. No, no, Jay makes a Jay makes a very good comment, man. Macho was too heavy in the mid '90s, so like for a while. I mean, when he was in WWF, you know, very good physique, not not too big, but you know, obviously very muscular. He, yeah. he got to a point where like he was, he, I think he was too jacked. He lost a lot of his mobility. I will I will agree with uh, Jay's comment. Yeah, yeah my, it, my favorite uh, my favorite moment of um, Macho Man was uh, February '84 against um, Tito Santana. He won the title. With Miss Elizabeth, and that was a big deal back then because the Boston Garden never had a title change, and um, that night was pretty special. The cameras were there and all that stuff, so he was a great wrestler. And don't forget, the WWF rings back then were huge. They were like twenty by twenty by twenty. They were big rings, and they were what four or five feet off the floor. There was no um, padding around the ring and all that stuff. These guys took a bump, and Macho Man was great at it. So, he would un- sacrifice his body, so he was in great shape, no doubt about uh, it. Unfortunately, my, my favorite. I, ma- okay. Oh, go ahead, Benny. Yeah, my favorite macho moment, believe it or not, was when he attacked Ricky Steamboat with the, the, the timekeeper's bell. bell. Yes, and then that, but that wasn't it. It was the interview backstage with Bruno, <laughs> and Bruno called him a you piece of slime, and he started choking <laughs> macho. And I remember Corporal Kirshner was there, and a couple of the, the other Kirshner. baby faces had to pull Bruno. And I guess that was what, about 86, 87? Yeah, that'd be 86. No, eight, yeah. gotta be 87. WrestleMania three, most pinfalls ever in a match. Uh, man, that was match of the year. So, I mean, outside of Hogan and Andre, that was match of the year, no doubt about it. Steamboat versus uh, Randy Savage. They Bruno's, Bruno's indignation. I mean, I don't think Bruno gets enough credit. I mean, obviously, to me, he's the greatest of all time. But like, yeah. even as an announcer, like that was great. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was good. That's good stuff there. Uh, unfortunately, I, I, see I, I don't remember sl- it, but what, back in the day, <laughs> my, my father reminds me that we actually got to see the debut of uh, of Randy Savage when he uh, at the Civic Center when he introduced Elizabeth and all the other managers oh, were yeah. coming in trying to claim him. And then they used that angle a few years later with Paul Orndorff and uh, and Oliver Humperdinck. Yep. But uh, you know, the original one was that one with Elizabeth in there. I I can't remember it though, but I know I was there. I remember, I remember Luscious Jimmy Valiant, uh, the captain, Fred Blassie was there, Slick was in the ring. They, he he brought out all the managers, and they all tried to get his services, and he then they opened, it, they opened up that side yep. door. Yep. and The Mr. yellow door. Probably, I, <laughs> yep, and Miss Elizabeth walks out, spotlight, sequin gown, and we're like, what is going on here? And that was, that was it. They were, uh, that, was his man, that was his manager. That was a big deal back then. Oh, that was yeah. a huge deal. Because uh, you never saw all – all the managers in the ring at the same time. Um, I think Lord Alfred Hayes was even in the ring. Like they had everybody. They put every they they slammed the ring to make it look like who is he gonna pick? Who is he gonna pick? And you know, neither of you is it's coming through the door now. And it was Miss Elizabeth. So so Bruce, they taped that at Poughkeepsie. Yeah, they taped that in was Poughkeepsie. That? And I believe the actual Macho Man's debut was the month before, but I didn't oh, I, yeah, I, I think, wasn't yeah, he, I yeah, wasn't there turned. for that. Yeah, that was that's awesome. That's cool. Yeah, I wish I could remember yeah. that. The, the first one I can remember being there for was when uh, Hogan turned on, uh, or when Orndorff turned on Hogan, which was about a year and a half, two years later. Oh yeah, yeah, that was a great moment. <laughs> I, I, my, my, I don't mean to skip to skip around, but my favorite Paul Orndorff segment was on Saturday Night's main event when uh, right after WrestleMania when Piper and them turned on him, <laughs> and he was on Piper's pit at the New Jersey Meadowlands. <laughs> he was like telling Piper to sit. 
<laughs> and he turned to Bob Orton and goes, stay, sit, stay, sit, stay. It was funny seeing Orndorff scream like that. Great guy, great guy. I shared, a slice, I shared a slice of pizza with him one time at, uh, outside the Boston Garden. He was a great guy. He was a Very coach. Yes. He, he liked to uh, talk to the fans and all that stuff. And we actually went to a pizza restaurant. And he sat down. He was a great guy. I talked to his son, Travis, about it. And he Travis, goes, that's a really good guy, too. Yeah, he goes, my dad was always like that. I was like 15 years old. He just he, my, he was just telling me, stay in school. You know, not the whole Kogan vibe, but just like stay in school, get in sports, you know, be good. I mean, Orndorff was a great worker. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know he was a heel and all that stuff, but outside the ring, great guy. Very, bought, very Bought me a slice of pizza. And the guy was built like a brick shit house. Oh, yeah. this guy, oh, my God. Before his car accident, this guy was huge. He was a good guy. He was from Tampa, right? Yes, Benny? sir. Yep. yep. He was. Wow. Stuff. Brandon, actually, which is very close. Jay, Jay Will, Ja Will's in there. Oliver Humperdinck was a great manager. So was in Percy Pringle. Oh, yeah. Percy and, Pringle. Uh, Paul Bearer himself. Yeah. And he used to pass by Paul Lindorf's old bowling alley going to the gym each morning. Okay, cool. That and was Pat somewhere. I think Fayetteville, Georgia, was the I believe, was the bowling alley. Oh, really? Alley. Yeah. Paul Lindorf was what, right, one of the first guys I saw on uh, Georgia Championship Wrestling. I think he was the national heavyweight champion at the time. Um, you know, he and I saw him. I'm like, oh, this guy. He he had the looks and he had the build and all that stuff. So pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh oh, Maria's chiming in. When I found out it was scripted, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I, I don't know what she's pertaining to, or is she talking in general? <laughs> Probably in general. Yeah. I, <laughs> all right. Let, let's fast forward into 2014. WWE airs an old school version of WWE. Monday Night Raw. Uh, this episode sees the return of the enigmatic Jake the Snake Roberts. Roberts was denied his wish to participate in the Royal Rumble, but was introduced into the WWE Hall of Fame several months later by Diamond Dallas Page, who Roberts claimed credits him for or credits for saving his life. Um, yeah, well, Jake does owe Diamond Dallas Page uh, a bit of gratitude, oh, yeah. and there's a lot of wrestlers oh, who do. Diamond Dallas Page is actually a really good man with what he does for these guys. Doesn't charge yeah, him anything, oh, yeah. and really does try to help these people, and not just wrestlers, but other people to improve their lives. Um, DDP Yoga is actually pretty uh, a, a great idea that, that he came up with. You realize that guy's, what is he, 66, 67 now? And yeah. uh, look at the yeah. shape he's in. He's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it works. Let's talk about him from the beginning. I mean, he didn't become a champion until he was in his mid forties. Yeah, he really didn't, didn't even start, start wrestling until he was thirty six. Yeah, he came in the game late. He came. Yeah, he was a manager late. for uh, Bad Company, Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka. Yeah, right? exactly, that's, that's exactly. Cool. Yeah. And then, uh, and then he had the uh, the, the uh, uh, Scott Hall over in WCW. Yep. Uh, yeah, DDP's DDP is uh, behind the scenes. He's a, a, a very very um, motivational. I mean, he's picked up so many wrestlers. I mean, we hear about the Jake Roberts and the Mick Foley's and all that stuff, but Star he's helped Hall, a lot yeah. more people than that. Um, he's just been – I was friends with him when I was on Twitter. We used to talk all the time, DDP Yoga, him. Great guy. Um, he came to a local news station and did the DDP Yoga thing on a Fox affiliate. Um, just just enigmatic guy. And I think part of his story was that he started late, but his goal was to make as much money in the shortest amount of time. Right. And, and I think he accomplished that because – I think within what a couple of years he was WCW champion. 
The diamond cutter was huge. Everything was he was he was on fire. So, but but then let's take a look at the other side of the question, which was uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. What do you think yeah. if Jake the Snake had gotten involved in the Royal Rumble in 2014? I, I don't think that would have been too good of an idea. <laughs> it's it, it sounds like a great idea if we get the 1985 Jake the Snake Roberts. Yeah, we need um, a Legends Royal Rumble, not a not a, a real Royal Rumble. We don't. We don't you, want to take the snake, Robinson. Yeah, you're talking we, about almost a 60 year old guy who is like really yeah. not in very good shape. Yeah, I mean, it's it's too bad. I mean, he's he's lived a life that he's lived. Um, it's unfortunate. I mean, I'm, I'm glad he's doing better now and all that stuff. But yeah, 2014. I think he. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I don't know about that, Bruce. I don't know. I, that's probably why he wasn't in the Royal Rumble. They probably knew. You know. Yeah, Jay <laughs> Will with a very very. Good comment. Flexibility is one of the thing, great things to have as you get older. And I've done DDPY for the past four years, and oh, I can wow. absolutely unequivocally state that it's it is great for your uh, flexibility. Can you put your leg behind your head? <laughs> it all depends who's with me. <laughs> well, it depends what she's in, this depends what she's into. <laughs> right, exactly. There you go. Yep, I hear you. Oh, oh my God! That's so crazy. Betty, Betty, why don't we? Why don't you take us out of this next one and let's get away from this topic? <laughs> yeah, flexibility. All right. So January seventh, nineteen sixty-six, St. Louis, Missouri. Gene Kaniski defeats Lou Thez to win the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Kaniski would hold the title for the next three years uh, before he lost it to Dory Funk Jr. So, um, you know, something to note: like everybody's making a huge deal out of Reigns holding the title for, you know, what is it, three and a half years now? But, you know, a guy like Gene Kaniski, who most people, most younger fans, probably don't even know who he is. Uh, but here's a guy who held the title for about three and a half years, probably defended it eh, 500 times. What's, what's Reigns defended it, like 11 times this year? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. title changes back then. When you had the NWA, or even, you know, even in the WWF, a title did not change hands. It meant something. Yeah. It was significant. I mean, now you got, you know, Jinder Mahal held the title for six months, for yeah. God's sakes. Well, and the NWA is the oldest territory. It's probably the most storied and historic wrestling alliance. So, yeah, they took pride in that. Yeah, you, know you didn't, I mean? you know, Kaniski held it for three years. He lost yeah. to, to Dory Funk. Dory Funk held it for almost five years. You know, and I'll, be, and I'll be honest with you, I'm reading the wrestling magazines. It took me a long time to pronounce Gene Kaniski. <laughs> I used to say Kaninsky, Kaczynski. I, I, mean, I, was, I, I always still say Kaninsky. I, <laughs> well, I couldn't pronounce unequivocally either. So a couple of minutes ago, so I think you guys just don't, just don't call him Kaczynski. <laughs> right. And then his son, Kelly, uh, yeah. I believe in WWF for a while or WWF. Yep. Yeah, he did something with them. Yep. Definitely did not have the same success as his father, though. No, no, he did not. But the NWA prided themselves. NWA title meant something. It uh, again, it put butts in seats because if the NWA title was coming through your town, you made sure you wanted to go see the champ and all that stuff. So there's no doubt about it. But yeah. he's one. Of, I mean, very unheralded. You know, the problem is that we don't really. It, our our history goes back as far as we do typically. Right. And, you know, somebody who was born in 1990, they're not going to know that Gene Kaniski won the title. And I mean, the guy even won the eight. He for a while, he won the AWA. He he held yeah. the uh, that's right. Yeah. AWA championship. I think he beat Vern for it, either Vern or Mad Dog. One of the so I mean, you know, you, you, you won the championship in two of the, you know, two out of the three big territories, which is that's a big deal. Yep. 
Jay Will says that uh, Luthea's made a ton of money too. He was one of the highest paid athletes in his yes. prime. Good stuff there. Yeah, Luthea's always got a percentage of the gate. He was a smart yep. guy. Yep. And those guys back then, that's that's how it was brokered, right? You you made that. It wasn't like um, you know the promoter just paid you. They made sure that that was part of the deal, right? And Jay Bronco Nagurski was yeah he was another one he was a uh, uh, football player too, yeah and I am hip of my favorite football player names <laughs> nice nice all right looks like I'm up right all right Joe. January January seventh two thousand two Triple H makes his return to Madison Square Garden after a nine month layoff due to injury although he went on to um, Went on the shelf as a heel. He returned as a baby, baby face, as we now know, is one of the largest crowd reactions in Raw history. I remember watching this. I remember uh, um, I? months before being involved in that six-man tag match. I just found out that he was on a podcast years ago. Triple H recalled the incident during a podcast, so believe it or not, with Chris Jericho. His former nemesis expressed shock at the fact that Triple H actually suffered the injury, but still came back in the ring with the sledgehammer to complete the match. Yeah, the game Triple H recalled how awful the injury was, so much so that he couldn't even put weight on his leg. That we all know that the pain was another matter unto itself. The walls of Jericho spot almost made him regret the whole thing entirely. Uh, Triple H, no doubt, the game was born. That whole thing, spitting the water in the air, the big jacket, uh, Motorhead coming out to Motorhead, time to play the game. I remember all that. That was the that was like a dawning of a that was his rebranding, so to speak. Don't you think, Benny? What a, I mean, what, I, rem, I remember watching that. What a pop. I mean, it's one of the largest oh, yeah. crowd pops I ever heard. Yeah. And it made me look forward every week when Triple H came out. I wanted to see him put that spotlight on him and spit the water in the air. And I, just, yeah. I remember how big he came back. Because if you remember that match, oh, yeah. he couldn't move yep. as well as he used to. And that was the first thing I noticed. I mean, the guy, he was bigger than ever, but he was yep. having trouble maneuvering around the ring. Sure. And he quickly lost yep. a lot of that extra bulk. And probably was in the, the best shape of his life at that point. Yep. Definitely. I agree. I mean, he came back huge. And um, I think was shortly thereafter, didn't the um, Shawn Michaels feud uh, ignite again? Didn't they uh, hook up with that Hell in the Cell and all that stuff? Memory serves me right? No, I believe you're Somebody right. Probably seven, yeah. You might be right. I mean, his his career, I mean, you, you he went from what? Um, Hunter Hearst Helmsley to Triple H. Yep. You know? And before that was in WCW terrorizing. <laughs> you know, I mean, Paul this guy's this guy's evolved with the business. Terrorizing, yeah, yeah, terrorizing. He he's he's been such an asset to WWE, and I mean, you know, say what you want with him and Shane, uh, Stephanie and all that stuff, and you know, um, but look at him now. Triple H is what I, I would probably go say probably second in command, really. Oh yeah, um, with, with Endeavor and TKO and all that stuff in WWE. I mean, look at the product he's putting out now. So. To have Triple H in your corner is is huge. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Beth Harper saying Abdullah scared me, and yeah. I would say that most of my blind dates scared me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, the chat's wicked active tonight. Yeah, Look at this, huh? Yeah, great Jeez. chat, great chat. We got a lot. Of, got hey, hung with us for almost two hours. Thank you very much. Yeah, we've got we've got some new listeners here too. It's great, great job. Yeah, El Derp El, El just happened to stumble stumble on the stream. Very nostalgic. You remember seeing Macho Man beat Tito Santana for the IC title on USA Network on Monday night? Uh, yeah, that, that was prime nasty, time wrestling. <laughs> yeah, that pushed Danny Davis to corrupt angle years later. That's right. Good day. Thanks for uh, tuning in, uh, Dirtbag. 
I love the name. I love the scream name. LBJ <laughs> will. Kane had match in WCW as it was actually Bruiser Mastino. But yeah, he was kind of an enhancement. And then, you know, comes here and he, he's Kane and the rest is history. Well, I think Maria's sipping on the wine. Yeah, Abdullah was forking and spooning the wrestlers. I don't want to know about yeah. spooning with love any that. wrestlers. I don't want to know Abdullah and spooning wrestlers. I don't want to know. Sorry. <laughs> and she has a typo. So I think she's in the wine already. She's good. That's all right. <laughs> Somebody else that used to be on Monty's show, she she was known for indulging in wine. Indulging? <laughs> indulging. But no comparison to Maria. Maria is actually a very nice lady. There oh, you go. Well, listen, oh, thank hey, you, everybody, for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. I, I actually, I'll play that. I'll play that as we go out because I just happen to have that. What's, uh, where are they, what? they now with, uh, with that person that Benny was referring to? Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll play that as uh, the outro. Are you, are you, we're we're petrified, right? <laughs> At Remember first, Tony I was afraid. In? At first, I was afraid. I was petrified. Who, who sang that song? Where are you now? What was song? Benny Mar? No, not Benny. No, who it was, was Benny that? Mardonis? No, no. Um, where are you now? It was an '80s song. Oh man, somewhere in. Oh, I forget. I'm dating myself now. Uh, Abdullah, uh, <laughs> uh, John Will has uh, Abdullah is spooning with Moolah. I could see yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> Baby cakes. What song was that? Who sang that song? Where are you now? There was somebody back all alone. She'll know what I'm talking about. Maybe she'll Google it for me. <laughs> oh. All right. I listen. forget what it was. Let, let, let's fast forward to 2008 in uh, Unionville, Connecticut. WWE. Uncasville. Mohegan Sun, baby. Mohegan Sun, right? Sun. All right. WWE Monday Night Raw sees all matches determined by the spin of a wheel. And some of the matches were. Strange bedfellows. No. Trading places. <laughs> Steel cage. First, First blood. blood. And a lingerie <laughs> pillow fight. Well, all right. Tell me who who's in the lingerie pillow fight, real quick. Come on, I was couldn't it? tell you because I can tell you. Be, Two thousand eight. Tori Wilson has got to be one of them, right? Yeah, Tori, Tori Wilson, Chase Keebler, that exactly. Yeah, that would be my. Those, those that those were the two that came to mind. The yeah, one thing I can say about this point is, I think the three of us were disengaged from wrestling. <laughs> it was it, not a yes. product for us. It wasn't geared towards us, and as a result, I don't think they had us watching. I wonder if the uh, the trading places was uh, Billy Ray Valentine against Lewis Winthorpe the third. The strange bedfellows was that something with Matt Hardy and Lita and Edge and that like debauchery. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I uh, think so. Jay Will, don't forget Jimmy Carter's favorite wrestler was Mister Wrestling Mr. Number Wrestling Two. Too. Yeah. Yep. Well, listen, that, that last comment, that last uh, segment was absolutely horrible. And well, hopefully, we'll close out on some better ones next week. But, uh, well, I can tell you, it was Jimmy Harmon that sang the song Where Are You Now? That's who it was. <laughs> was, was he a one hit wonder? Yeah, 1989, I do believe it is. Yeah, that, that one, that one yeah, escapes me. It's a one hit wonder. So, no wonder why I didn't remember it. <laughs> so. So listen, guys, we're coming towards the end of the show, and uh, I know we've got some really cool upcoming stuff. Uh, hey, Benny, why don't, why don't you tell us what's going on on uh, you know, Dan and Benny in the Ring and uh, you know the 30 and you know, some of the other stuff you got going on? All right, so next Tuesday uh, on Dan and Benny in the Ring, we have author Ian Douglas. Ian Douglas has written a number of wrestling books. My favorite uh, was the book he wrote about Bugsy McGraw. Um, just, a, just a good guy and a 
great writer. Uh, we got, uh, and next week, at some point next week, we're going to do the true crime about Whitey Bulger. Joe and I are going to do another line drive baseball podcast, hopefully next week. Deep drive uh, way back. That's right. And then, you know, as usual, the 30 on Thursday night. Awesome. Awesome. Until he runs out of town. We'll keep doing this. Yes. So, so, Joe, uh, so what do you have to plug this week? Jesus, you name it. Money in the Pharaoh. Uh, money in the Pharaoh. Money in the Pharaoh. Uh, how about a new Patreon account just to, to, to fund those new furnaces? Because I know they're not cheap nowadays. Man. Oh, my God. Crazy. Yeah, we had no heat for a week, but thank God uh, we finally got everything up and running just in time for 30 last night. So that was always good. Yeah. Um, true crime. We're going to be chiming in on that with uh, Benny and Brittany Fox. Brittany, right? Is that her name? Brittany Fox? Brittany Brown. Brittany Brown. Excuse Boston me. bad girl. Jeez, I got the 80s stuff on my mind now. Yeah, we're going to be chiming in with the uh, Whitey Bulger stuff there. Um, what a Day in Centerville returns yeah. live this Wednesday. Of course, I'll be on the 30. Um, new segment, by the way, will be uh, coming up soon on the 30. Stay tuned for that special announcement and all that stuff. So uh, a lot of stuff going on. Line Drive Baseball Podcast. So, you know, we'll, we'll be around. You know, Money in the Pharaoh's family is growing. Uh, a lot of viewers chiming in. Subscriberships growing up. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in tonight. Uh, greatly appreciated. The chat's been lively and all that stuff. And, you know, don't forget to subscribe, share the channel. Let everybody know that Money and the Pharaoh and the family is growing. This channel is growing, folks. You know, um, they're slowly coming back to where they were before. Not slowly. Uh, I, we are I, gaining momentum. We're gaining momentum, right? And Wrestling Remembered, we're going to be uh, – we'll be back here next week with another awesome episode. Hey, well, know, speaking it, of that, how did uh, – I, I want to get a kind of the feel, feedback from the from the fans out there. Uh, how did they like having uh, having us uh, on the Friday? It seemed like we're getting a lot more reaction and interaction on a, on a Friday night live show versus the Thursday and the Tuesday. Uh, just trying to figure out what the best time to to come on with you guys is. Yeah, this That's is kind fan. of fun on Friday night. You got to be honest. Yeah, Dirtbag, Joel, Maria Davis, Joe Myers, everybody chime in. When do you like it on Friday night? You like this conversation? Let us know. Yeah, so us I, know chat. It's a, I know it's a great alternative to to to, uh, to SmackDown, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> J.A. Will knows his wrestling stuff. Professor Tanaka uh, oh, yeah. was uh, actually Hawaiian. His name yeah. was Charlie Kalani. He actually served in the United States Army. Great guy. Yeah. And El Dirtbag uh, said, rest in peace, Killer Khan, who broke Andre the Giant's leg. Wink, wink. Real quick on that. We all know his kayfabe and all this stuff. Andre broke his uh, ankle getting out of bed one day. Uh, I did not know this until probably about 20 years ago that he had a surgery and all those pictures of him in the hospital were from Massachusetts General Hospital. Wow. That was the only hospital in the entire United States, and this is a true story, Vince McMahon can back us up on this, that was allowed to give him enough pain medication and anesthesia to put him under. He needed horse tranquilizers and everything to get this guy under, to get him knocked out. And Mass General, believe it or not, at the time, we're going back to 1981, was the only hospital in the United States that was allowed to administer that much pain medication for Andre the Giant. So there's a little tidbit for you. Awesome. Awesome. Well, listen. Friday is fun for us. Friday is fun for us. So go for it. Yeah. Okay. Friday awesome. Friday's so, good. So uh, we'll, 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 we'll get together. We'll talk about this and see if we can we can set this up to, to make it happen again. But uh, as Ooh, always, Patty, listen, guys. Patty likes it. I, I can tell you, it's, it's always a pleasure talking to you guys. We we go for an hour. We, we start talking for an hour and we end up at two every time. So it's uh, 
it's it's been great, man. Uh, Joe, great talking to you. Benny, it's been great talking to you. Listen, oh, yeah. chat room, it's been awesome. You guys were absolutely amazing guys, tonight. Yeah, it's you been guys rock. unbelievable the interactions we've had in there, and please keep it up. You know, don't forget to to like and subscribe to the channel. And listen, hit that like button. I, I'm gonna yeah, play that. Like where button. are they now? One more time as we're getting out of where here. Where are they? <laughs> <laughs> and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you guys. Later. What a day. What a day. From the pages of Wrestling Remembered comes Where Are They Now? Our own Jimmy Farrow. Even though Jimmy's missing in action from the show for the past couple months, his chair is just waiting for his return. Currently, Farrow is on break from the show and is soaking up the sun with his love in Florida. Ron Shaw. Last we saw Ron, he and Monty buried the hatchet on an episode of Monty and the Pharaoh. Since then, Ron was seen threatening to punch a director after not receiving a role on the senior edition of the Jersey Shore. Currently, he can be seen beating up drunks at his country club. John Cena Sr. John Cena Sr. quickly became a friend of the show during the Thursday Night Wars. Currently, Mr. Cena can be found making his world-famous hot sauce. Daniela Petro. Former co-host Daniela was terminated for breaking the code of conduct of Monty and the Pharaoh and has returned to a life of irrelevance and posting about Matt Riddle on X.com. That's all for this week. Make sure to check out Wrestling Remembered for your weekly dose of wrestling history.